I feel like I'm missing something. I don't know. We'll see what happens. God, want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and want to thank you that you are our God. And I don't think we even begin to comprehend what that all means, but but we want to walk in that truth. We want to understand that truth. We want, want you to pour your spirit into us so that we can live in the victory that you call us to live as your followers, Lord. And I know that we come into this place this morning with in different spots in our walk with you. And, and uh, some are on the mountaintop, some are trudging through the valley, God. And, and Lord, I just pray this morning that, um, that you would speak truth into each one of our hearts from your word, Lord. And so I pray that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So you know the, uh, the book of Galatians that we've been going through. It's been it's been somewhat of a challenge for me. I, I must say it's a challenging book to preach through. It's a great book to read. It's a great book to meditate through. But it's it's challenging to actually preach through it. And so this week in, in the text that I was looking at, I, I was I kind of hit hit a wall. You know, just like some some sermons come easy, some not so much. And and it's good that some come not so much easy because you don't want just some cookie cutter thing going on. So I kicked back in my office and I was just praying. I'm like, God, what? You know, what do I do? This is going to be just like, wah, 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 amen. And, and so, um, you know, I have a few books in my office and I just pulled one off the shelf. And I will say that many of the thoughts and, and the direction that we're going to move in today through this text in Galatians are based upon my study, my reading from a guy named Eugene Peterson. And he just gave me this whole fresh uh, take and, and, and understanding of five verses in the book of Galatians. So I would love to take credit for all these great ideas I'm going to throw out, but I really can't. I've massaged them a little bit to denisify them. And so, but other than that, um, he has really spoken into me and, uh, and changed the way I just looked at a, a mere five texts. So with that, um, we have to understand that as Paul is moving through the book of Galatians, he first he talks about this this. He was bumping heads with Peter, right? And he's doing that because the Galatians are starting to do some things that Paul isn't too favorable about. So we, we talked about that whole idea where Paul is talking with the Galatians, or Paul's talking with the Galatians about his thing with Peter, and then he gets done with that whole thing. He gets done with explaining to them what he and Peter kind of bumped heads about. And now he's going to turn his attention back to the Galatian community as a whole. Now they are caught up in the idea of circumcision, that you have to be circumcised to be a, a person of God. Some Judaizers have come in, and they're bringing this teaching that for, in order for the Gentiles to get right with Jesus, to follow God, they have to take part in this area of the law. And it has to do with circumcision. And Paul is telling them, I mean, come on, I, I, really? Uh, is, this, is this really where you're, you're going now, we can, we can kind of step back from this because we've got like 2,000 years of time between the Galatian letter and us right now. And we can kind of think, you know, what are they thinking? What's going through their mind? Why would they get caught up in something like that? Like they would have to add something to the work of Jesus. I mean, what's wrong with them? But we have to read the text through a first century lens. We have to understand what they were going through. We're 2,000 years away. They weren't. They were right in it. They were there at the time, and they understood the culture. 
So circumcision actually, it's, it was a symbol of a right relationship with God. That's, that's what it was. It was a symbol of a right relationship with God. And so it goes way beyond just the obvious, but it's really deep, uh, deep with meaning. And I think we have to look at that meaning a little bit. First of all, it was, it was physical, to say the least. And, but in that symbolism of, of the physicalness of circumcision, it kind of represents our relationship with God. Because our relationship with God is not just some mystical fly-by-night thing. Our relationship with God is very physical. Look around you. The world has been created by God himself. And everything in it that we interact with every single day has been created by him. And so everything that we touch, everything that we feel, everything that we hear, every breath that we take, when the sun shines down, when the snows come, it's all God's creation. And we walk in this creation and we experience God in this creation every day. And so our relationship with him is is a physical relationship. Circumcision was also a wound. And that scar reminded the Jewish men of of a, a separation that has taken place. It was a separation that had taken place on a spiritual level and on a physical level. It separated one way of life from another way of life. It separated one people from another people. It showed, it showed that to, to live a life with God and of God, there had to be some type of intervention that had taken place. And that intervention was by the creator himself. But circumcision was a symbol of that separation. From a certain people group to another certain people group. From one life that was being lived to another life that was being lived. And the person who was circumcised was a committed person. They were obedient to the things of God. And in the Jewish tradition, this person was blessed of God. He was in right relationship with God. Eugene Peterson would write this. He said that circumcision is the visible absence of flesh symbolizing the invisible presence of of God. And so it was symbolic for, for you and God, it's, it's, it's all good. But the interesting thing about, about it is it was both necessary and it was not necessary. See, women didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to go through that process, but yet they were still considered to be people of God. And so there's this, this idea that, that, oh, you know, we look at it and you had to and you had to and you had to, but the whole circumcision process could never really be completely linked to the reality of who God is because it wasn't for all of God's people. It was more of a symbol for us. We had to have the sign. We had to have the symbol. It was, it was a sign that, that, that we could look to see that we are, we are part of God's people. But it never could really make the whole connection. But for thousands of years, this tradition was set in place. And for thousands of years, thousands of years, people looked at this act 
as being in a covenant relationship with God. So it's easy to see why it had power to sway people. It's easy why it's easy to see why people, when they were told, no, you have to do this to be right with God, that people would go, oh my goodness, it's been going on for thousands of years. So maybe, maybe I actually have to do that. And so this is, this is what's happening to the Galatians. They are being swayed by the tradition and the authority of circumcision. circumcision. The, problem, the problem was they were confusing a symbolic appearance with the real presence of God. They were looking at appearance as opposed to reality. And they were confusing the two of them. Now, humanity has struggled with appearance and reality for forever. It's, it's really nothing new. I mean, at one point, it appeared that the earth was flat. In reality, it's not. At one point, it appeared that the sun went around the earth. In reality, it does not. I mean, I appear to have it all together, but in reality... Okay, maybe that's a bad example because sometimes appearance and reality come together. But you, you, you understand what I'm talking about. And Paul is talking and he's writing about freedom and how we possess freedom in Christ. And there may be, there, there, are, there are actions in our lives that we can take part in that have, a, have an appearance of freedom, but really hinder our lives from being free. I mean, the first one that comes to my mind is, uh, is substance abuse. People who are engaged in substance abuse many times are looking to be set free, set free from those memories, set free from that pain in their life at that time. But in reality, substance abuse holds you in bondage and it doesn't set you free of anything. Now, we have to kind of use our brains here this morning. Um, because there is a process, a, a, a thought process that has to take place as we work through these things. If we fail to engage our minds, we are in danger, real danger, of confusing appearance with reality. Our, our minds need to be engaged in our faith walk. It just can't be some emotional state that we are walking in. If we miss that point, things are going to get scrambled for us. Things are going to get messed up. We are going to lose our focus. Now, in saying that, we always have to remember that faith, faith goes beyond our intellectual capability to understand everything. But it does, our intellect does play an important part in it. Your mind, your brain does play an important part because we can start to see what is truth, what is lie. We start to wrestle with the things that make sense and the things that don't make sense. And sometimes if we just go purely on emotion, we lose what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Pure emotion shades or hides um, what is truth and what is lie because we want to understand reality and we want to understand appearance. These are important things. And so Paul is trying to get to this, to the Galatians. He's telling them, man, you know, you guys are, you're moving in the wrong direction here. Come on, what, what are you thinking? And so he's going to ask them a series of questions. He's going to ask them five questions, in fact, in uh, Galatians chapter 3. Check this out. This is chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. 
Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by your observing the law or by your believing what you have heard? Paul, I guess, I guess maybe he's asking these rhetorical questions to them because if he just comes in and yells at them, they're going to put up some walls and they're just going to shut down and he's going to lose a voice in their life. And so what, what's happening is they are denying the gospel by their actions. They are denying the gospel of Jesus Christ by the way they are living. They're on the verge of of just throwing it all away. And we can't stand here and condemn them for living contrary to the gospel because their story is our story. And our story is their story. I mean, how many times have we denied the gospel with our own actions? How many times have, has our life not been in line, our living not been in line with the things that we say we believe? How many times have we used grace as an excuse to walk outside of the harmony with God? How many times have we allowed the pursuit of our happiness or money or things to get in the way of the pursuit of God in our lives? I mean, not too many Christian people would say that there is something more important than a relationship with God. There's something more important than my relationship with Jesus. But many times, many times our actions say something completely different. And listen, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody here. Guilty as charged. I'm in, I'm in the, same, the same boat. And even seemingly good things. I mean, I know people... That can, that can quote chapter and verse, like just bang, bang, bang. I know people that can enter into deep theological discussions. They can argue the faith and they can do it. They can do it well, but their lives lack the fruit of the spirit, that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness because they've pursued something instead of pursuing Jesus Christ's. They've pursued the symbol instead of Jesus Christ. They're looking for the appearance instead of the reality. The Galatians were trying to, the Galatians were trying to change what it meant to be a God follower. And churches have been doing that throughout history. I mean, even churches today try to, try to add to the gospel. Nobody would really admit to it. And I think even sometimes we do it here. We don't admit that it's going to take this to be a good Christian. But too often we put these stipulations on people that aren't biblical. But we just think that this is the way the scripture should be interpreted. And so you should look like we look if you're going to be a good Christian. We're not here to make Oasians. We're here to make Christ followers. But sometimes we get caught up and we lose that whole focus. Now, I'm not condoning sin in any means. But what needs to come first is Jesus Christ. What needs to come first in everything is Jesus Christ. Because when he comes first, everything changes. Everything changes. And so Paul asks a question. He says, who has bewitched you? Before your eyes, Jesus was portrayed as crucified. 
Now, understand magic in the first century was a very popular thing. It's the way common folk like us would try to manipulate our environment. We used magic to, they used, we don't use it. Anybody use magic here? Better not. Mm -mm -mm. Uh, They used magic to try to manipulate, uh, you know, the weather, to get their crops to grow, to get for childbirth, to, to, to get a son. They used it for business. I mean, they used just for every part of their life, they thought that magic would change things. And Paul is comparing this, this Gentile uh, need to, to, for, of magic to the Galatian fascination with circumcision. Like it's almost one and the same. They're almost putting the same type of, put it in the same type of context, making it that important. If we do this, then something is going to change. But he, Paul, points to the cross. Jesus, before your eyes, was clearly portrayed as crucified. Let me tell you something. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the single most important historical event that has ever happened, ever. And that, and, the, and anything that happens even in the future, pales in comparison with the crucifixion and the cross of Jesus Christ. It, it can't be swept under the carpet. It can't be ignored. If the cross of Christ has been, has been introduced to you, you, are, you have to make a decision about it. You just can't ignore it. You just can't let it go away. It's either yes or it's no. It is the center of our reality. Not just Christian reality, it's the center of the world's reality. And what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to get the Galatians to think about what is your priority? What is important to you? What are your priorities? We, we all learn to prioritize our life, right? And when we prioritize things in our life, we're able to enter into this, this uh, rhythm or a harmony in life. We, we learn about things that are important to us. We learn about things that maybe aren't so important. And as we engage our minds, our minds allow us to analyze and to prioritize. And it puts things in proper perspective for us. Let me give you an example. All life is God-given life. All life is important. All life is worth saving. Now, we have a dog. His name is Arlo. If Arlo gets sick, we are going to do everything that we can to take him to the vet, to get him some medicine, to help him to try to save his life. Now, Sandy and I, we also have children. And they are Megan and Ethan. And if one of them got sick, we would do the same thing. We wouldn't take them to the vet, but we would take them to, the, to a doctor and we would get them medicine because we're good parents like that. And so we would do these things for our children. Now, with Arlo, our dog, if he gets sick, we're going to help him to a certain point. I mean, if it gets really, really expensive, I mean, we love him, don't get me wrong, but... He's a dog. And if it gets way out of control, they have this thing called the big sleep. And we wouldn't want to do it. I'm not saying yeehaw, we get rid. No, but, but there's only a certain point that we're willing to go. But if one of our children got sick, we would give everything to help them. We would give all of our money, all of our time, all of our energy. We would, we would give up everything to help our child. Because we have priorities in our life. We understand those priorities. Our children take priority over our dog. 
The cross of Christ is the number one, should be the number one priority in the faith journey of a believer, period, end of conversation. The cross of Christ should be the number one priority in the faith journey of a believer. It, go, it, it, is, it is central to all humanity. God so loved the church. No, God so loved a few people. No, God so loved the world that he gave Jesus and that he gave the cross. And so it's a central truth for all of reality. Now, I understand that the cross has become a symbol for us now 2,000 years later after Jesus had risen from the dead, but it is still the central symbolic reality of what has taken place that God has reconciled wants to reconcile all of his creation back to him. And what the Galatians are saying, oh, no, 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 no. See, circumcision, the law, is way more important than the cross of Christ. Ultimately, what they're saying is what man can do is way more important than what God has already done. And that's, they're missing the point. They are falling way short in that the fact that God gave us Jesus, the fact that he died on the cross, the fact that he forgave our sin is the foundation of everything. Of everything. And then Paul will ask them another question. Did you receive the Spirit by the law or by believing what you heard? Did you receive the Spirit by doing things that you thought you can handle and you can do? Or do you, did you receive the Spirit of God by believing, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ? See, this idea of um, the word received brings it all back to when they first heard the gospel message. Do you remember when you first heard the gospel message? Do you remember that time when, when, when you first believed and it seemed like the power of the Spirit was just ripping through your entire life and things are shaking up and things are changing and your whole family and friends, they thought you were just way out there. They thought you lost your mind. Remember when you used to carry your Bible everywhere and kind of look like a little geeky? I mean, you're not a geek if you carry a Bible everywhere. I'm just saying, you know, Oh, I put my foot in my mouth now. Okay, so um, never mind. Remember when you carried your Bible everywhere and you just looked like a glorious Christian person? <laughs> Remember when you wanted to go to church every Sunday? Remember when you used to read the Bible and you were hungry for it and you couldn't wait for Wednesday night Bible study? Remember those days? Remember that experience when the Spirit was just initially poured out onto you and things just began to change? Do you remember those days? Those experiences that you had? Paul is bringing back the Galatians, and I think he brings back us too, that experience. Remember, remember those things that you experienced. How, I mean, how did you receive the Spirit? You received it at that moment of conversion. When you accepted Christ, when you said, yeah, this, this makes sense to me. And, and the Holy Spirit is God's life coming into our life. It's the presence of God in our life experience. And as we engage our minds, we become in touch with those experiences. And we start to process those experiences. And we start to learn from them and reflect on them. And sometimes we mourn over them. And sometimes we're joyous over them. But they become our own. Our experiences are our own. And when we lose 
when we lose touch with ourselves, we fail to process those things. We just kind of leave them out there. We try to forget about those things. No one can process your own life experience. Yes, you can get help with that process, but it's yours to deal with. It's yours to make them your own. You are a sum of all of your life's experiences to this point. How you handled them, how you dealt with them, have made you who you are today. But see, that takes an engagement of a a little bit of up here. And not just all in here. See, the gospel isn't just this floaty, surreal thing. But it, it does engage heart and it does engage our minds. You know, I think we begin to lose ourselves when we need something or someone to define us. We begin to lose our identity when we begin to say that this appearance or this thing or this person is the person who tells me who I am. I mean, how did you become a Christian? Was it you filled out an application, you handed it to a pastor at church, he asked you a bunch of questions on how you're living your life, how you're all cleaned up, you got it all together, are you being a good Christian, are you, are you doing all the right things? And then once you've once you filled out the application, he approved it and stamped it, and, and he gave it to you, you got your certificate, he gave you a blessing, and then ta-da, you're a Christian. That's not how it happens. You became a Christ follower by a revelation of of the Spirit about Jesus Christ. And in that moment, you experienced something and your faith took over. You had the ultimate experience of faith. And you began to process that experience of faith. Paul goes from going, okay, what are your priorities to, do you remember the things that you have experienced? Do you remember the things of Jesus Christ? How can you just forget all of that and move on to something different? And then he asks another question. He says, are you so foolish? I think the Greek word is stupid. Are you that dumb that you're going to start with the Spirit and you're going to end up with trying to do something on your own? They actually thought they can improve on what God has already done. They wanted to change the strategy. They wanted to try to get it done by themselves. And Paul asked them, like, where is your common sense in all of this? Where is your common sense? You know, not everybody has common sense. And it doesn't really rely on your education. I know some very intelligent people that have absolutely no common sense. I know some people that have very little education, that have a lot of common sense. And Paul is asking the Galatians, where is your sense in this? The gospel is about God pouring out his love for us. And then we receive that love, receive a life that's in full. We become free. We become beloved children. We have hope. We have peace. We have joy. So what's the next step for us after those? I mean, if you just use your common sense, what would be the next step after the love of God? To mistrust him? No. What's what's the next step after uh, becoming a beloved child of the creator of the universe? To choose to become an orphan again? No, it doesn't make sense. 
What is the next step after God pours out his grace upon you? You go try to manipulate God to get him to do what you want him to do so you can get the things that you really think you deserve or you really want? No, it doesn't make sense. Paul is telling the Galatians, please, think about this. Use your head. Don't abandon the simplicity of what the gospel is. Don't lose the simplicity of who Jesus Christ is and the cross. Remember, where's your priorities? Remember those experiences that you had. Don't disengage up here with your brain. The fourth question he goes into, he talks about their value system. How's he word it? He says, have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain, they have experienced a lot of things in the church in Galatia. And what he is getting to is what they, what they value, what their, what their value system is. You know, if we lose our value system, we begin to get tugged and pulled by the world. We begin to lose focus on the things that are our priorities. And he's telling the Galatians, man, you know what? You, you, you've, you've started out over here, and now some people have come in, and they're, they're lighting a little fire under you. They're starting to push at you. They're starting to question your own value system. And what are you going to do? Just, just fold? Just give in? What's, he's, what's, what's wrong with you? We cannot be, we cannot get rid of our biblical value system. And, and this is what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the things that are valuable in this book, the principles that are valuable in this book. We cannot be swayed by them because we will be at the mercy of the world and we will get pushed and pulled and beat up. And people will roll over us. It will give in to the seductions. It will give in to the manipulations. All questions, all those things. Was it, was it just in vain? I mean, where, why, why are you giving in so easy? And then the last question he'll ask him is the God question. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by your observing the law or by you believing what you've heard. The one that gives the spirit, the one that works the miracles. Did you get that stuff because of what you were doing or was it because of your faith in Jesus? The gospel reveals the reality of God and a, and a God of abundance. He is a giving God. He gives his spirit and he gives forgiveness and he gives grace and he gives mercy and he gives love and it goes beyond anything that we can ever understand. He gives miracles. God is our reality. God is our ultimate reality. And when we lose touch with that reality and we fall prey to the appearances, when we lose touch with that reality, things go in a healthy direction. If we don't live in the reality of who God is, we will be living in the appearances of the world. And if we fail to have a correct understanding of who God is, then that, ra- that reality is even skewed, and it looks as though it's an appearance. I mean, if you think... If you think that, that God is mad at you all the time, you're going to live in a very unhealthy fear of him. If you think God is stingy, 
then you're going to live your life like, like you got gypped. If you think that God doesn't care, and if you live your life like God doesn't care about you, then, then your life is just going to be lived in, uh, just like it's insignificant. Like you're just trying to survive and get through this so you can die. Even if you skew the reality of God, you're in danger of living a life that he does not want for you. We live in a world that has lost touch with reality and really focuses in on appearance. People have seemed to have checked out. I mean, mentally checked out. Even in the church, I see it. People seem to have checked out and it all becomes this emotional thing and, and, and emotion plays a big part of it yes but but you can't lose this paul wants to get the galatians to start thinking wants to start them thinking about their priorities wants them to remember their experiences wants them to to understand and to regain their value wants them to deal with their god The reality of the gospel is about this Son of God, Jesus, who has come to redeem and to save us. That's reality. The reality of the gospel is that it opens us up to hope and despair. It opens us up to faith and doubt, to right and wrong, to good and evil. But it just doesn't leave us hanging in the question because the reality of God gives us those answers and we can work through those answers and we can get closer to those things that God has called us to. And so I want to encourage you that as you move through your faith, and, and, and I know, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we ever really talk about engaging our minds because we always like to kind of go to the heart stuff, and that's important, but, but there has to be an intellectual response to the gospel. There has to be. Where's your priorities? Simple question. Have you forgot those experiences that God has done in your life? Are you using your common sense? Where's your value system? Are you living by it? And are you engaging your God? Is he your reality? Or are you living in a world of appearances? God, we want to thank you for your, uh, even, even if we're at rock bottom, Lord, your grace and mercy is sufficient for us. And God, I just pray that you would pour out your grace and mercy in this room this morning. That if, that if somebody has ventured off course, off path, that is not, it's not guilt that will bring them back, God, but it will be the love of Jesus Christ poured out upon them that will bring them back to stand in front of stand in front of you. God, I pray that we would understand this morning forgiveness. 
we would understand this morning mercy. That you would connect the heart and the mind together. Lord, I pray for spiritual common sense to come on this room. And that common sense will just help us live a life, live the life that Jesus has called us to live. I pray for biblical values to come upon this room, Lord. And a clear understanding what those are. And the strength and the determinations to stand firm in them. That we will not be shaken, that we will not be pushed. Lord, help us to remember the experiences that you've given us. And God, I pray for even more to come. That as you pour out your spirit, we're going to see God stuff happen all around us. So thank you, God, for everything that you're doing. That you don't leave us hanging in the questions. That you bring us to the reality of the answer. And that answer is in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.